Well, good morning, friends. It's nice to be with you. It's definitely a Baptist church. It fills from the back forward. It's, uh, some things are the same right across the country. It's nice to be with you. I appreciate Adrian's uh, words of welcome. And uh, Brian uh, booked me, and, and uh, I think for the second time, uh, then went on holiday um, whenever he saw who it was that was preaching. So I trust that, uh, that he has a good time away for a few days. It is nice to be back with you here in St. Field, and I trust the Lord will bless us today as we turn to his word. I'm going to uh, read a very familiar psalm, Psalm 98, just nine verses. I'm going to read it in English as opposed to Latin. And I'm going to preach in English, but that doesn't mean any of you will understand me. And uh, I've put many a congregation to sleep, so I trust you will focus. Um, Adrian has said we'll finish at half past twelve, and uh, I like his faith. Uh, But (laughs) we'll do our best. Psalm 98. O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things, his right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation, his righteousness has he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. And make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the voice of a psalm, with trumpets and sound of cornet, make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands, let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he cometh to judge the earth. With righteousness shall he judge the world and the people with equity. Amen. We know the Lord will bless the public reading of his word. Now let's just pray together as we turn to God's word. Father, we thank you that we have your precious word, that we have it in our own language, and that we're free to read it and to proclaim it. And we pray just now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you might move from seat to seat, you might minister to each need, You know us all, everyone that's gathered in here this morning, we're not here by accident, and we pray that just now, as we seek to minister from truth, that you will minister through it, and that we will leave knowing that we've heard from heaven, for we ask it in Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, maybe you'll keep Psalm 98 open uh, as we turn to it. Uh, It's a a well-known psalm. A psalm that inspired Isaac Watts to write that uh, hymn, Joy to the World, that we would often sing at Christmas. And yet, interestingly, the psalm really has more to do with not the Lord's first coming as a baby in a manger, but the Lord's second coming as judge. As Daniel pointed out to us in the children's talk, Jesus is coming again. This is a, a great psalm gives us reason for singing, reason for praise. And and I've been coming here to St. Field for many years, probably 30 years, uh, and uh, and you know me well enough to know that I can't sing. I haven't a note in my head. My wife leads the singing in Ballykeel in the praise group, and I'm not allowed to be in it. 
but there's a day coming when I will be in a choir and she won't be able to keep me out of it. And that'll be a great day. But just because I, I can't make a tuneful sound doesn't mean that I can't make a joyful sound. And if you were traveling in the car with me coming over this morning, I was singing away. And people probably driving past me thinking I'd lost the plot. I enjoy singing, I just am not very tuneful. The psalmist has encouraged us here to sing unto the Lord a new song. And he gives us a number of reasons why we should do that. He talks about God's redemption, his righteousness, his return. There are a number of of reasons why we should sing a new song. I want simply just to break the psalm into three. I want you to see the salvation that's revealed. I want you to see the saved rejoicing. And I want you to see the Savior returning. So the salvation that's revealed. Sing unto the Lord a new song. For he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His salvation has been revealed. And it's been revealed to God's children here is what the psalmist is saying. Now, we don't know the exact timing of when the psalm was written. It's quite possible it was written at the time of the return from exile when God's children were in Babylon and they were freed uh, under the, the instruction of Cyrus, the king of the Medes and Persians, to let God's people go free and return to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. But God's revealed his salvation right throughout the Old Testament. As Daniel was saying, he could have preached this sermon. Uh, he nearly did preach half of it uh, when he was talking to the boys and the girls. The Old Testament points towards the Lord's coming. And God's revealed his salvation to us. And you can go through every book of the Old Testament and you can see something of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God that would come 2,000 years ago. In Genesis, the sin of mankind had come up before God and he had decided to bring judgment, but he made a way of escape. He asked Noah to build an ark. And Noah built an ark and then preached for 120 years that God was going to judge and that people had an opportunity to repent and to go through the door of the ark and to be saved. And of course, we know that there were only eight went in. God came in judgment. But he didn't make a means of escape. He provided a way of salvation. You come over into Exodus And you see that God's children have been in captivity in Egypt for 400 years. And yet God raises up a leader, Moses. And he creates an opportunity for them to be set free and to go to the promised land. And we know in the 10th plague how that God was going to judge. The firstborn of every family was going to die. And that was because of sin. And it would have been the Jew and the Gentile. But God made a way of escape. He said that in that night he instituted the Passover feast. Take a lamb and shed its blood and apply the blood to the doorposts and to the lintel. And when the destroying angel comes in the night and sees the blood, he will pass over. And in the morning, 
those Jewish firstborn males were alive. And where the blood had not been applied, there was death. God's salvation was revealed. You come into Leviticus and you see it again in the lamb, in the sacrificial lamb. You see it in the the kid goats. And we'll maybe think about that just around the table. You come into Numbers and you see God's children again and there's sin in the camp. They, They are murmuring against the Lord. They have turned their back on God. And God again determines to judge sin. He is a holy God. He doesn't overlook sin. He judges sin. And he sent snakes into the camps. And they were poisonous. And men and women and young people were being bitten by the snakes and dying of the poison. And and so they went to the Lord and asked for forgiveness. He told Moses to put a brazen serpent on a pole and to raise it up. And whoever looked at the serpent by faith would be healed. Daniel mentioned our reluctant evangelist Jonah. We know how Jonah was called to go to Nineveh, but because of his bigotry, he went the other direction and went to Tarshish. He went down into a boat and then ended up down in the sea. But God created for him a means of escape. His salvation was revealed. Because God created a great fish that swallowed him. And just as he was going down to the bottom of the sea, Jonah cries out, salvation is of the Lord. And he's thrown up onto the dry land and gets a second chance to go and preach. You go through every book in the Old Testament and you see God's unfolding plan of redemption. And he didn't just reveal it to the Israelites, to God's own children. He's revealed it to us. Because as... Noah went through the door. me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And just as the blood was applied in the doorposts there in Exodus, so we know that it is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanseth us from all sin. And when we come this morning and put our trust in Him, we are cleansed by precious blood. When we went over into Numbers and we saw the pole lifted up and the, the brazen serpent on it, what was it that... Jesus said, as Moses lifted up that pole with that brass serpent on it, and people looked and lived, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. Pointing to his own death on the cross, it was again a type in the Old Testament that pointed forward. Jonah, why is that story so ridiculed? Why did the early translators want us to have the story of Jonah? And why did Satan go after it and attack it so much? Why does everybody laugh at the big fish that swallowed Jonah? It seems like a ridiculous story. Well, because when Jesus was on the earth 2,000 years ago, and people kept pushing him for signs because he is the Son of God in human flesh and capable of healing and doing miraculous signs, people wanted to see a sign. And Jesus turned and said, no sign will be given you except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. 
if you can knock the center out of the story of Jonah, you kill the gospel. So shall the Son of Man be. God has revealed his salvation to the children of Israel. And in doing so through the Old Testament, he has revealed him because I can't. But we're to sing a new song. There are a number of psalms that start that way and encourage us to sing a new song. Psalm 33, Psalm 40, Psalm 96. If you just go back a few psalms, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Psalm 144, Psalm 149. The the word new literally means fresh. Sing a fresh song. It's not new in word or thought. We know the old, old stories. But the psalmist is encouraging us to sing with a new freshness this morning because God's mercies, God's grace, it's new every day. As we come into God's house this morning, God has again showered His mercies and blessing upon us. And you know, even if you're experiencing trials today, those trials are sent, permitted by God, to help tune us, to praise Him. Praise Him. As you look at the people that we've thought about in the Old Testament, think about Noah and his family as they're going into the ark and they're being saved from the storm. Think of those Israelites as the destroying angel comes and they realize that the blood has protected them. Look at their faces. Think of God's children as they've been healed by looking by faith at the serpent on the pole. Think of God's children in the the great return from exile in Babylon as they're laughing and singing and rejoicing. They're people that are characterized by joy. And this morning, God wants His people, as we consider all that He has done for us in His unfolding plan of redemption, to be a happy people, to be a joyful people, to rejoice in the God of our salvation. I wonder this morning, are you characterized by joy? Are you rejoicing? We have known the salvation of our God. Let's just remember as we think back where we were going. The Bible tells us we were on a broad road that leads to destruction. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. There are difficulties and trials in life, but we're born in sin. And we're on a broad road that leads to a lost eternity. We're going to that place that the Bible calls hell. A place of outer darkness. A place of eternal separation from God. A place of judgment. A place where they cry out for a drop of water to cool their tongues. A place that has been prepared for Satan, his angels, and those whose names are not found written in the book of life. Hell is a real place. And we were going there. And then God revealed His salvation to us. And now we know that we're on that narrow road that leads to life. We're going home. And we should be characterized by joy. There should be an expression on our face. People should know by looking at us and talking to us that we have something that is real. Have you lost the joy of your salvation? When was the last time someone came up and asked you about the hope and the joy that you have in your life? The Bible tells us that we're to be ready always 
to give an answer to anyone that asks us the reason for the hope that we have within us. When was the last time someone asked you about the joy that you have in your life? Characterized by praise and joy. Michael, if you only had some understanding of the trials and difficulties that I'm going through in my life, the pain I have, the illness I have, the difficulties in my family, the difficulties in my work life, you would understand that rejoicing is not easy for me. Here's the interesting thing in Scripture. We are told that there will be days of trial and difficulty. In this world you will have tribulation. That's what Jesus said. But even at times like that, we are exhorted to rejoice. James tells us to count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations. Peter tells us to rejoice inasmuch as we are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Jesus himself said, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. It's an amazing testimony to the unbeliever when they see that God's children have an understanding and a joy that the future is bright because they belong to Jesus. Paul and Silas chained in a prison cell. And what are they doing at midnight? When there's an earthquake, they're singing. They're rejoicing. And the jailer is so impressed and so moved at their testimony in the midst of trial that he cries out, what must I do to be saved? Are we characterized by joy? The time has gone. Do we go about with faces like Lurgan Spades? Some of you don't know what a Lurgan Spade is. I worked in Lurgan for 15 years as a managing director of a medical company, and I can assure you that I don't, I don't know if people in Sainfield are ever described as strange, but people from Lurgan. A Lurgan Spade has a very, very long face for cutting turf, for cutting peat. As Christians, at times, we can be described as people who have faces like a lurgan spade. Nice big Bibles, nice long faces. We look very sober. We are to express the joy of the Lord because He has set us free and we're on our way to heaven and home rejoicing in the God of our salvation. Salvation revealed, the saints rejoicing, the Savior returning, very quickly, verse 7, 8, and 9, let the sea roar and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein, let the floods clap their hands and the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for He cometh to judge the earth, with righteousness shall He judge the world and the people with equity. The righteous judge is coming. We read about him in Psalm 9 and verse 7. He will judge the world in righteousness. Now, we live at a time when it's a very legalistic world. People will go to court over very little. 
And sometimes you wonder about the quality of the judgments that are made. But the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is coming again. Jesus said that he would return. And he will judge the world in righteousness. Do you know there will be nobody in heaven that should be in hell? And there will be nobody in hell that should be in heaven. He's the righteous judge. He will make no mistakes. There's the great white throne judgment. And there's the judgment seat of Christ. And you will appear at one or other throne. And you will experience one or other judgment. And he will judge the world with equity. That's what the psalmist tells us. There will be a fairness in his judgment. That means no one will be able to question it. The holiness of God will be revealed. The sinfulness of man will be revealed. And the sacrificial substitutionary death of Christ will become very real. As we see the nail prints and we understand that Jesus died for sinners. And those of us that find ourselves lifting up our eyes in heaven, rejoicing, will look to Jesus and know that he paid the price. And simply as we trusted him by faith and made him Savior and Lord, we're in heaven not because we did anything good, but because we trusted him. And those that lift up their eyes in hell and torment will know that they're there because they rejected the only Savior of sinners. And they turned their back on the one who paid the penalty for their sin. And God, the righteous judge, will not just overlook sin and forget about it, but he will separate those that rejected his Son. When we come over into Revelation in chapter 20 and 21, we see that there are two deaths. We've all experienced two births. We were born physically. If we're born again, we've experienced the second birth. If you haven't been born again and trusted Jesus as your Savior, as he told Nicodemus to do, then you've only had the one birth. But there are two deaths in Revelation 20 and 21. The second death for the believer, the child of God, we're told there that the second death has no power over them. We will only die once physically unless the Lord returns. But for the one whose name is not found written in the book of life when the righteous judge comes, the heavens and the earth flee away. The great white throne appears and the Lord Jesus on it. The books are opened and another book is opened, which is the book of life. And the Lord will judge out of the book. And whoever's name is not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. What a tragic, tragic thought that anyone that's here this morning in St. Field Baptist could find themselves before the great white throne. You know, it's not God's will that any should perish and any should end up there at that great white throne. He says that by an oath through the prophet in Ezekiel. 
He can swear by nothing greater than his own name. As I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they would turn. Turn ye, turn ye, for why will ye die? Satan will be released. There will be the battle of Gog and Magog. And he will be cast into the lake of fire. He's a defeated foe. The psalmist is exhorting us to praise God because of the victory that he has won. Praise him because of all that he has done in revealing his salvation to us. Praise him because he's coming again and it's going to be a great day for the children of God. Bishop Ryle said this concerning that day, God forbid that I should ever keep back from mortal man that Scripture reveals a hell as well as heaven, that men may be lost as well as saved. My time is gone this morning, but I want you to know this morning that if you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, if you've never asked Him to forgive you for your sins and repented and turned to Him, you're still on that broad road that leads to a place called hell. From the youngest to the oldest here this morning, I trust that you can sing a new song. A new song of the redeemed. A song of a soul that's been set free by the Lord Jesus Christ a song that looks forward to the day when we in heaven will rejoice around the throne unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What a Savior. I'm sure you're better singers than I am. But I look forward to being able to sing that day in a tuneful way, in a glorified body around the throne. I trust you'll be there. Thank you for listening to God's Word. We're going to sing as we close this part of our service before we come to the Lord's table. We're going to sing 685. 685. How I praise Thee, precious Savior. And I don't know if we can create chaos with the guys on the words and maybe just sing the first, third, and fifth verses, if that's okay. Standing to sing. Thank you. Mm-hmm.